Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to share this episode today. You know, not long ago, I had a talk with a remarkable business leader. She knows she has to take some needed steps in her life, but she's hesitated for a number of reasons, and I could relate to her. So today's podcast may be good for all of us as we learn to open our eyes to the opportunities standing right in front of us and take the necessary steps to bring them to pass. So today, wherever you are as you listen to this podcast, I hope the principles you hear today can bless your life and help you live better. And by the way, if you find these podcasts helpful, you could help by sharing them with a friend. Word of mouth helps us further our mission. Just share it and say something like this. I thought you might enjoy this podcast. Have a great day. And that would help us expand our mission and keep doing a little bit of good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this fact. The open door is before you, waiting for you to open and step through it today. You know, there's an ocean so dangerous that ship captains dread sailing there. The seas are merciless, the winds unpredictable, and no other sea route in the world has claimed so many lives, and in no place are there as many ships lying at the bottom of the ocean. Around Cape Horn, over 800 ships have sunk, with over 10,000 people losing their life as a result. There, the Atlantic, Pacific, and Southern Oceans collide making for legendary storm conditions with gale-force winds. The route is so treacherous that in the 1800s, the Spaniards preferred to transport their plundered wealth across South America by land rather than risking sailing around Cape Horn. The worst recorded year for shipwrecks at Cape Horn was 1905, when 53 of the 133 sailing vessels that attempted to pass from the Atlantic to the Pacific sank. But because there was no other way from one side of the Americas to the other, Cape Horn was a necessary evil and a dreaded rite of passage for sailors. If you were transporting goods from Florida to California, you would travel 14,000 miles around the tip of South America and take months to complete the voyage. Even with the advent of modern sailing ships, the trip still was so impractical that it hindered the transport of food and goods. The door from east to west was closed for decades, to those who wanted a faster and easier way to move people and goods to the other side of the world. Then in the late 1800s and early 20th century, world leaders started to seek a new doorway to the West. At the time, Colombia consisted of today what is Colombia, Venezuela, Panama, and most of Ecuador. And the French decided to explore a way to create a canal, a path across the narrowest part of the country. That narrow neck of land is only 51 miles wide, and about one half of that distance between the Atlantic and Pacific is made up of a lake and several rivers. So the French devised a plan and entered into a treaty with Colombia to create a canal into the lake and use the rivers and extend the canal to the Pacific Ocean. This was an ambitious undertaking to say the least. One of the biggest reasons is that at its center, The Panama Passageway is 200 feet above sea level. The French 
had already built the Suez Canal, which had been a financial boon for the French, and they envisioned the same for Panama. They wanted a sea-level canal, which meant that they would dig down the interior landscape to sea level, dig down 225 feet for dozens of miles. Now, they'd done so in the Suez, so why couldn't they do it at Panama? But what they soon learned was it was much more of an engineering challenge because of the combination of tropical rainforests, debilitating climate, the need for canal locks, and the lack of any previous route to follow. The dense jungle was alive with venomous snakes, insects, and spiders, but the worst challenges were yellow fever, malaria, and other tropical diseases, which killed thousands of workers. Soon, the death rate was over 200 per month. Landslides continuously buried workers, and soon the French had lost $300 million in the effort, and tens of thousands of workers had been killed. At the same time, the President and Senate of the United States were interested in establishing a canal across the Isthmus, and they had several options. Build a canal across Nicaragua, or buy the French interests in Panama. Well, President Roosevelt supported a Panamanian separation from Colombia and soon acquired the rights to build the canal from the French. The U.S. would later pay Colombia reparations and give Colombia special privileges to the canal if they recognized Panama as an independent nation. And they did. Well, the Americans brought in better equipment and engineers to move the 45 million cubic yards of dirt and material needed to construct the canal. But the American strategy was different from the French. They built a series of dams and artificial lakes and locks. Dozens of dams were constructed to control lake levels. In total, 22 locks or lakes were constructed to move ships through the canal. Now, initially, the locks were designed to be 94 feet wide, but soon this proved to be way too narrow. The canal wasn't designed to handle aircraft carriers, for example, which protrude beyond the hole on either side of the ship. And when the USS Saratoga made her first trip through the locks in 1928, the ship knocked over all the concrete lampposts along the canal. Well, over the years, the canal systems have been built, rebuilt, widened, improved, and engineered dozens of times. Today, over 40% of all ocean traffic coming to the United States passes through the Panama Canal. This is $270 billion in cargo annually. The Panama Canal opened a door to the world and the United States that wasn't there before. Now, shipping from the East Coast to the West Coast can happen in a few short weeks. Shipping of goods from the East Coast to Asia is now almost a direct route. The Panama Canal took years to build. It was seemingly impossible at times and was complicated by ownership, civil wars, and many other factors. But Roosevelt saw a door open and he walked through it. And that eventually led to something that changed the world for decades to come. Now, you and I are similar in a few ways. We have doors in our life as well. Opportunities, duties perhaps, and invitations that are in front of us. Sometimes we don't step through the door or even open it because we're afraid, or it seems impossible or improbable, or a host of other reasons. But if you're listening to this podcast today, I bet there is a door in your life waiting for you to open and step through right now. 
Perhaps you felt the prompting to extend yourself to a person or develop a relationship, seize a business opportunity, take that lesson, reach out to someone or other things. Perhaps you need to address a health challenge or a relationship. Perhaps you started a business but really haven't stepped into what you know you can and should do. So what is your door waiting for you? And then the next question is, why haven't you stepped through that door? And if you do have a door and you are thinking about stepping through it, then let's talk for a minute about how to do so with more confidence. And if you aren't sure what doors are in your life, let's also talk about how to recognize those doors that you can step through and maybe also those doors that you should probably close for now. I know I've had a lot of doors in my life. Some I probably shouldn't have walked through and some I missed. And even those that seem to be the wrong door have sometimes turned out for my good. Here's a simple example. Early in my career, I was working at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. This was a great job and career. I was learning and growing, but the job after several years was largely doing the same thing over and over again. And I was impatient was stressed and wondering what I should do. About that time, I received a phone call from a recruiter from Hydric and Struggles. They were a big-time recruiter and came with what seemed like a very good job in Atlanta with a large hospitality brand. I interviewed, got a job offer, and after some consideration, I took the job. We moved our family and struggled in many ways. The job wasn't what I expected. You see, I didn't do my due diligence like I should have. And I soon realized that walking through that door was a questionable thing for me to have done. But four years later, that same recruiter would call me again and take me to Idaho to a job that was right for me. And he wouldn't have called me if I hadn't developed a relationship years earlier or taken the job in Atlanta. So it was the first door, which was the wrong door, which led to the next door, which was the right door. And isn't that how life sometimes goes? We need to walk through a door or two before the right door appears before us. If you're afraid or just unclear about whether to step through a door or not in your life, perhaps you make your best judgment and step anyway, knowing that the outcome may lead you to learn more about you and how to get better on the next go-around. Often, we walk through doors so we can find the next door waiting for us on the other side. Next, as the author said, life is so subtle sometimes you barely notice yourself walking through the doors you once prayed would open. Too often we think that change only comes our way through dramatic events or big moves, but in reality, much of what comes our way, the doors that are open for us, are sometimes hard to notice. You meet a new person who has influence on you or your thinking. You read or listen to a thought or podcast and feel the impression to follow that thought. And when you do, you find more of yourself or more of what you're looking for. But you need to follow those small, sometimes imperceptible impressions. You know, Sue Hendrickson grew up in Munster, Indiana, in a town of about 9,000 households. While a good student in school, she often found herself bored. At the age of 16, she talked her parents into letting her stay with her aunt in Florida. Well, an adventurous and rebellious teenager, she dropped out of high school at age 17 and she got a job diving for tropical fish to sell to pet stores. Then she started working as a lobster fisherman. Then one day she was recruited as part of a salvage diving expedition off the Florida Keys. 
She felt drawn to this work, so she followed her impressions, and this led to exploring shipwrecks. And one impression, or hunch, after another led her to the study of paleontology. She found she had a love of all things prehistoric and loved the chase and discovery. So she met a friend, and together they went to the Black Hills Institute in South Dakota. One day, Sue and some other friends were searching for fossils at the Cheyenne River Indian Reservation in western South Dakota. Weeks earlier, they had discovered in Montesaurus bones, and they were searching for more without success. And they were getting ready to leave. However, a flat tire delayed their departure. So Sue had an impression to explore the nearby cliffs that the group had not explored. She figured she had time to do this, and off she went. As she was walking the base of the cliff, she discovered some pieces of bone on the ground. Then she looked up to see the source of the bones falling to the ground, and she saw some larger bones protruding from the wall of the cliff. Well, after alerting the team, they discovered one of the most complete T-Rex skeletons ever discovered. The group would eventually name the T-Rex Sue, and that T-Rex named Sue would be over 90% complete the most complete T-Rex ever found. The team cut big sections of the earth containing the bones and covered them with plaster paris. And these plaster paris pods of dirt were taken to the Field Museum Lab in Chicago. And with funding from McDonald's and Disney, Sue was separated from the dirt. Sue, the dinosaur, was 28 years old at the time of death. She was 42 feet long, 13 feet tall, and weighed an estimated 14 tons. Well. A few years later, the casting of Sue and her bones were unveiled. And today, the specimen is world famous, worth $30 million, and one of the most remarkable finds ever. All because Sue followed her impression. Now, in studying the role of impressions and intuition in lucky people, researchers learned that lucky people have a strong sense of intuition, makes them lucky. And more importantly, they follow that intuition much more frequently than other people. They found that when an impression crossed their mind, lucky people are more apt to pay attention. Unlucky people don't. When they searched for the reason that lucky people do this, the researchers soon found that lucky people spend more time deliberately thinking, pondering, and even meditating. They were used to listening to their inner voice. Now, I've also found that Fortunate people are more apt to take action. Let's imagine that you're feeling down and apprehensive because you just moved to a new neighborhood, and the prospect of making new friends is difficult at best. So you go to a fortune teller, and in telling you your fortune, the fortune teller says that in a few months, you will be surrounded by friends. Well, reassured by the prediction, you return home feeling happy and confident about your future. And as a result, when you see your neighbors, you smile more because they may be the friends predicted. And you behave in ways that greatly increases the likelihood of making friends. You reach out to your neighbors, you stop to get to know them, and you go out of your way to meet them. Soon you find that you are indeed surrounded by friends. Now, is that because of the fortune teller or because of how you acted in response to the fortune teller? Well, research has shown that these types of self-fulfilling prophecies have the power to affect many areas of our life. If we walk through the doors, the new things will open to us, and they do, in fact, change us accordingly. Now, here's another simple example. 
let's say you're going on a blind date and you expect it will go well because your friend who arranged the date said he's going to like you. He's so excited to meet you. Well, empowered by this impression, you sit down opposite your date. First thing you do is smile. Your date sees you smile and correctly assumes that you're pleased to see him. So, because he feels more positively towards you, he smiles. And this smile reinforces your presumption. And all of this happens before anyone says a word. This is a simple example of how expectation can create reality. Walking through that door confidently helps create that expectation. Next, you've likely heard the quote from Alexander Graham Bell that says, when one door closes, another door opens. But we so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which open for us. Has this ever happened to you? Well, it's happened to me. I once thought for certain I was going to get a new job with a university. I'd received every indication that the job would be mine. And it was something I could do really well. It was something that I wanted to do. But surprisingly, I didn't get the position. For months, I looked regretfully at the situation. I wondered what happened. I wondered why not me. I wished things had been done differently. But finally, at one point, I decided that the door needed to remain closed. I had to give in to my faith that the new door would come along. And when I did, I started looking for something new, something I hadn't been doing. And this new view led me to my next good thing, which has been incredibly fulfilling in my life. But it wouldn't have happened without closing that prior door. You know, Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in prison because of his beliefs and desires to bring freedom to his people and equality to his country, said this about the moment he was released from prison. As I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Some doors need to be closed. And the reason closing those doors frees us up is because now we can see what's before us, to seek the open doors available to us. And sometimes those closed doors seem devastating or at least hurtful, but they can and often do turn to our good. In December of 1914, Thomas Edison's laboratory consisted of a series of buildings that he had built, and he had many employees working in those buildings. One night, one building caught fire and it spread from one building to the next, destroying everything. Although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for $238,000 because they were made of concrete and thought to be fireproof. Much of Edison's life's work went up in spectacular flames that December night. At the height of the fire, Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, frantically searched for his father among the smoke and the chaos. When he finally found him, his dad was mesmerized watching the scene, his face glowing in the reflection and his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67 no longer a young man, and everything he had built was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? And when I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. As you may well know, most of Edison's best inventions 
most of what we use today, most of the doors he needed to open in life came after the fire, after the rebuild. Next. One of my favorite science fiction movies is The Matrix. Now, The Matrix is about a people struggling to find their way in what was a confusing reality in which they lived, much like our life from time to time. Neo is a young man who's destined to help lead his people to freedom, and he's beginning to discover who he is and what his destiny might be. At one point, his mentor, a man named Morpheus, says to him, I'm trying to free your mind, Neo, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. And I would say the same thing to you and me. Our friends and God and life can only show us the door. We have to be the one to walk through it. And this is a tough concept to swallow sometimes when we're wishing and wondering and wallowing in whatever confusing things are around us or circumstances beset us. But people are likely showing you the door and you need to choose to walk through it. You know, for years, I watched people who really wanted to change their life and their financial future come to build a business with my company. The opportunity was immense. The people, good. Their team, supportive. But some never stepped through the door and really tried. They waited for life to act on them and never acted on life. And as a result, they missed the opportunity that may have been theirs and the relationships that, that could have been amazing in their life because of the fear or at least failure to act. So if you can see the door in front of you today, if you know it, take the steps forward that you need to take to open it and walk through it. Don't delay. Don't dabble. Walk forward and find what's on the other side of the door. You know, in the scripture, God tells us this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I believe this is true. This is God's way of dealing with us. He stands ready, but we must open the door. He will not force himself or his ways on us. It's got to be our choice, our action. As the hymn says, know this, that every soul is free to choose his life and what he'll be. For this eternal truth is given, God will force no man to heaven. He'll call, persuade, direct aright, and bless with wisdom, love, and light. In nameless ways be good and kind, but never force the human mind. Now, I get it. It's easy to be fearful or tentative of change or new things or even question ourselves and our abilities. And this keeps us from doing what we should and opening the doors that we're likely supposed to open. A few years ago, Sherry, a great leader in my community who I admire, shared this story with a news station, and here's what they reported. Sherry was a star player in Basketball Crazy Kansas at a tiny high school in Ulysses, population 4,000. She averaged 23 points and 17 rebounds a game. She had a hook shot, a post-up move, a jump shot, and she can move under the basket to get free for shots. With all modesty that I can muster, I was good, she says. I haven't seen many girls who could play basketball at that age who were as good as I was, but this was in the late 60s and 70s when there were few opportunities for girls to play college basketball. She chose to attend a large university and planned to try out for the school's basketball team. On the day of tryout, she reported to the gym. She opened the gym door a crack 
peeked at the players inside, and the confidence drained right out the bottom of her shoes. She couldn't make herself step through the door. She thought she could work up the courage if she paced the hallway outside the gym for a while. She walked back and forth for three hours. She never walked through the door. She never entered the gym. And when the tryout ended, she walked slowly to her dorm, castigating herself for not having the guts to try out. It's one of my biggest regrets, she says, and I've never gotten over it. Not long ago, athletic director Michaelis, who coached the basketball team when Sherry was a student, invited Sherry to speak to the school's female athletes. And Sherry told this story for the first time in her life, one she hadn't confided to anyone, including her family. And her point was that these athletes were doing something she had wanted to do, but had lacked the courage to try. Well, afterwards, the athletic director told Sherry, I remember my 1971 team really well. You know why? We played all season one player short. I tried to fill my roster and I couldn't. That year, I was looking for one person, a taller person who could post up on the team. Sitting in her office, Sherry finished this story and said, I felt as if I'd been kicked in the stomach when she told me that. That was supposed to be my spot on the team. And the truth is, nobody can take your place. No one can take your place. You need to step through the door that's in front of you. God is waiting for you. Life is waiting for you. And beyond that door are possibilities and things you need to learn. I know you can open the door. Don't let fear hold you back. Because here's the truth. You are extraordinary. You are not made or put here by your maker just to get by or to wait until it's convenient. You have within you the DNA to make your life fabulous and remarkable. You may have done amazing things in your life thus far, but those things are nothing compared to what awaits you in the future. You are meant to step forward, open the door, and do what you've been afraid to do and take action. I believe you've been put in the circumstances in which you've been placed for a reason, for a purpose, and you've been given the doors in front of you Because if you step through them, you can make something extraordinary of your life and the lives of those around you. Don't worry about making a mistake. Mistakes are overrated. At worst, we learn from them. Mark Twain once said, good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from making bad decisions. So, as we end today, remember, open doors are waiting for you. Even if they seem impossible or improbable, they are yours and they are waiting. And God may be standing and knocking and asking you to exercise your faith and step through that door and see the good things waiting for you on the other side. Do this and watch. You will rise to the path in life that you are meant to follow. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.